Welcome back to the Digital Dive. This is actually our first episode with the new branding and we addressed it more in the previous episode if you want to check it out. But in this episode, we have two really special guests. I'm actually so stoked to have you guys on, Cullen and Samir. You probably know them, but like if there's one person that doesn't know you, kind of give us like a quick background, but I feel like everyone kind of knows. (laughs) That's very kind to say that everyone knows us. Yeah, Yeah, that's really kind to say. So we're Cullen and Samir. uh, We're YouTube creators uh, and documentarians. We make content about the social media landscape with a lens on YouTube and really looking at what successful creators are doing, the storytelling tactics that they're deploying on their channels, as well as how they're building businesses. And that's that's really what's the most interesting for us. Yeah, I mean, so we've been, this has been in the works for a long time, but one thing that's super nice about working with you guys is like, you also have a podcast. So you actually know how to like set up a shot and make your audio sound good. And you just launched a video channel for a podcast. I think it'd be really interesting to talk a little bit about that and kind of like the video venture um, and why you're getting into video on YouTube, because we also just launched a video channel for our podcast. Yeah. If you guys haven't checked it out already, please go to our link in the show notes down below. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, Colin and Samir, if you guys can tell us more about your podcast and the video clips and everything like that. Yeah. So we, we probably started the podcast uh, in 2018 and it was a time when podcasting was really starting to come to life. And, and I personally was consuming a lot more podcasts. Living in LA, you listen to a lot of audio, primarily because you're in your car so much. Um, and so it just fascinated me. And I think Colin and I both were like, you know what's interesting is it takes us a long time to make a video, but what does it look like to make a podcast? Like, what does it, make, what does it look like to make good audio? Mm-hmm. And so we started to just record. And, and a lot of, for us, when we're trying to learn about something new, we're just... We just need to dive in. Just jump right in and yeah. start. And then that's that's how we learn, basically. Yeah. And, and then we just start ex- experimenting with the platform. So audio was like that for us. We were nervous. I remember the first time recording, it was kind of confusing how to track, you know, are we, are we being engaging? Are we entertaining? This is like 45 minutes of Colin and I having a conversation. What does this sound like? And then once we started uploading the podcast, you just find your voice and find a format. And so we've been doing it for about, you know, I would say a year and a half doing podcasting. And over time, it's become, in my opinion, my favorite form of storytelling, primarily because of it's like the most raw, unedited version of yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really rare to, to give that to an audience on YouTube when you're scrutinizing every take, not just from like, how did you perform it, but also is it, does it add to the video? Am I keeping people's attention or not? And the medium of podcasting, people are just used to it. They, they're, they're cool to listen to an hour of an audio and, and have that relationship with you. Yeah. So it feels like a really intimate experience. It's um, a really fun experience as a creator, especially for Colin and I, because there's two of us. So we get to evolve our relationship through audio as well, where we just sit down and talk about things that are going on with us. Yeah. A lot of times, like there are conversations that I would enjoy having regardless of whether they were recorded and shared with people or not. And I think that's a good indicator that it's something to keep doing, yeah. right? Like if, if you would do it, no matter what the like, you know, financial element of it is or the appearance, you know, whatever it is, but if you still want to do it, if no one's watching, then that's, that's important. So we've, we've built like a pretty loyal fan base uh, from a podcast perspective. And there's been a lot of people who have suggested, you know, Hey, do a video form of the podcast. But for years, I mean, since the beginning until maybe 10 days ago, we would record with these just holding mics in our hands and going straight into like a recorder. 
And so there was no set for the podcast. There was no place. And like, it was too overwhelming to have to set up cameras and set up lighting. And like, we didn't have a proper studio. Mm -hmm. So at that time it didn't make sense. I mean, we even recorded podcasts in the car sometimes when we were driving, like one of us would just hold the mic. You guys utilize your car a lot. Yeah, we do utilize our car a lot, but literally I think we were driving through Arizona at like midnight and we were like, oh, we didn't record a podcast. So we flipped open the, the mics and just were driving and recording. <laughs> so we were very run and gun with the podcast and have been to date, which I think has created a really cool vibe to that audience. But now, I mean, Rode sent us all these mics and and this uh, Rodecaster. Like we have all this equipment. We're sitting in a studio that we have. We have lighting that Aperture sent us. We have cameras. And and we also have Jesse, who I think you saw in the beginning of this, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. who works with us now and and is you know, able to support us from the production standpoint and post-production. So our capacity has just, you know, it's just increased. Now Now we're able to sit down and rec- like record podcasts. And now additionally, we talked about how like audio is a lot easier to make than video. And when you video your experience of making the audio, it's, addi- it's also easier. Yeah. So if it takes us 10 days to turn around a YouTube video, we were able to get out our first podcast clip on our podcast channel on the same day. We recorded in the morning and the clip's out in the evening. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so we just started a YouTube channel as well for the podcast. And Darsh and I had been doing a bunch of just audio-only episodes prior to that. And there definitely is an added element of work when you have, like, the video camera because you have to, like, think about record limits, how it looks, etc. But it definitely is much easier than making, like, a full-fledged tech review for me. And I also kind of just like what you guys said as well. I feel like the podcast audience is so much more engaged and like feels like they know you a lot better than your YouTube audience. So I think that kind of like goes back to your point about like a thousand true fans that you've mentioned a bunch of times, like in different forms. Would you say that you think it will be like easier to monetize the podcast audience maybe for like direct to consumer versus like your YouTube channel? Yes. I mean, we do have some metrics around this. Okay. From a conversion rate perspective, yes but the scale of our YouTube audience is so much bigger yeah. mm-hmm. that if you take a 1% conversion of our YouTube audience and a 3% conversion of our podcast audience, the YouTube audience still wins. So the conversion rate is higher, yeah. but the scale is still lower. So that's that's the reality for us. But I think to, to your point, the reason why they converted a higher percentage is because it's really rare to be in someone's ear for an hour. I mean- you could count the amount of people in a week and it might be zero who are in your ear for an hour. Dude, that's so yeah. true. Right? Yeah. It, maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your best friend. So if you are part of that crop of people who's in someone's ear for an hour during the week, you have a better relationship with them than most of their friends. And that is why, like the reality in my opinion is that word of mouth marketing is the only form of marketing. Everything else just accelerates it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so when you become someone's friend, like when you're in their ear and you have an intimate relationship with them, you have the opportunity to give them word of mouth marketing. Like if I, if I was to tell Colin about a coffee shop that I like, he's exponentially more likely to go to it than if he saw a billboard. Yeah, it's true. Right? Yeah. yeah. But if I told him about it and he saw the billboard, it accelerates my word of mouth. And so podcast, in my opinion, just ex- like it really it simulates that and it emulates like a friendship. Yeah. I think it's not too dissimilar to like the daily vlog era of YouTube, where if you had a daily vlogger that you really enjoyed and they made 15 minute vlogs every day, you're spending a significant amount of time staring into their eyes throughout the course of a week, probably far more than you're spending again with like members of your own family that you don't see as often. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and it does simulate that friendship. And I think as the daily vlog era has sort of declined, 
podcasts have really stepped in to like simulate that relationship. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about it the other day, like my closest friends don't listen to this podcast, but a bunch of my subscribers do. So in a way, like my subscribers know me better than like Mm -hmm. people I'm really close to my life. Like they know different things about me. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're going to see like podcasts continue to increase. I feel like we haven't like reached like peak podcasts yet, even though like the industry is getting more and more saturated i think that there's still a lot of opportunity in the podcast space Mm -hmm. what do you guys think about a bunch of youtubers like kind of starting video podcasts on youtube like clips channels do you think that that's going to be successful in like another niche that's going to continue to grow or do you feel like it's kind of like reached its saturation point no i think it's going to continue to grow i think it's going to grow like crazy i think the interview format i think casey said this but the the interview format where two things are happening at once is is such a good YouTube format. Hot Ones is an example of that, where interview plus eating hot wings, Jeff's Barbershop is a great example of that. So thinking about that format, those make for really good YouTube videos because like you're watching two things happen at once. It's also an interview that you have to watch. So I think that's really dynamic. But additionally, like, Creators are the people with that people care about. These are celebrities. So like it's this, it's the same thing as if celebrity had a talk show and you really liked that celebrity, you'd probably watch it. Now it's just scaled out like crazy where everyone can have their own talk show. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I think again, like for me personally, podcasting is where you're gonna get the most real version of me. Yeah, me too. If I'm sitting in front of a DSLR hosting to the camera, you know, there there's a there's performance that ties in there. But the closest thing to the actual version of who I am is speaking into a microphone. No, I totally agree. And I feel like there's also less like required of you. Like people don't need you to be as enthusiastic as you would be if you're in front of a camera. Whereas like, I feel like on YouTube, every single second has to add to the video and has to keep the attention. Whereas I feel like in podcasts, it's a little bit different. Like our retention rate in podcasts is totally different than my YouTube retention rate. It's insane. Like the amount of like the amount of listeners who will actually just like tweet at us and tell us like, oh, like we thought this this part in this segment was insane. Or like we do a, a specific segment during like whenever we have like a guest on, we call it hot takes and have these people rapid fire answer questions to things that we want their an- that we want like quick answers to on like really like relevant topics. Like people will like tweet at us telling us like, yo, like this answer was great or, or yo, next time ask someone this, ask someone that. And it's just insane the amount of retention we get because it's always at the end of the episode. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, we do, we do that as well where like uh, we'll add things in at the end of the episode to see who's listening. Yeah. And it's so fun to see comments on our YouTube videos as well as tweets to us that are, it's like 56 minutes into a podcast, we say something that someone reacts to. And then you start to realize like, oh, wow, this is a very intimate relationship with a group of people. Yeah. They're listening to 56 minutes of, you know, me and Colin talk. That's unbelievable to really think about. But I also... I listen to more podcasts than I watch YouTube videos personally. Yeah, I've listened to so many podcasts. I'm curious, you you guys, what's your like guilty pleasure podcast? Oh uh, yeah, I think mine is probably impulsive, like Logan Paul's podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I love that one. Like I listen to it while I work and it's just it's just fun because it's kind of like I hear a whole different side of him. Like for so many years he was seen as this controversial, kind of like immature adult, kind of running around doing all these outlandish things and that now he's like sitting down talking about like actual issues going on in the world or like things that are like interesting to me now that like i've grown yeah he's just i don't know for me at least that's been insane to listen to because i only found it like two weeks ago too for myself yeah no i actually just started listening to that i'll go on the record and say i haven't missed an episode of impulsive wow really yeah which was which was really special for me this week and for us to see that like uh, logan talked about us in our video uh, which was really cool yeah i saw that yeah i saw saw, that was actually insane yeah and that was cool because it's like a podcast that i listened to and i i was also curious the same way that you said like here's a guy who's 
been doing this. He's reached such success. He's also been wrapped in crazy controversy. Like I just wanted to learn about his personality. Yeah. Yeah. But they've done a great job with that show. They formatted it so well. Oh no, it's fantastic. Yeah. I just watched the one with the Dolan twins. So Darsh recommended this podcast to me and now like, I really like it. (laughs) Uh, And they were talking about how Ethan and Grayson Dolan and also Logan were saying like when their camera goes on, they feel like they have to like revert back to like their younger personality. Like their audience has not necessarily grown with them in the same way. Whereas I feel like on the podcast, you get like their authentic self. And they were saying like the same thing for Jake Paul. Like if he's on someone else's channel, people like him a lot more than his videos, which is interesting. I feel like podcasts like kind of show like the real creator a lot more so than videos as you were saying, but I want to transition us. I think one of the reasons why your podcasts do so well is you're like vulnerable and open on them. And one of the times that you were extremely vulnerable was in your episode, F it, let's get jobs. Mm-hmm. We were talking about your kind of feelings of maybe like YouTube won't work out for you. And then you had like two pivotal things happen. And I think it'd be really interesting to break down how you go from that to maybe like now being full-time having a studio. So like talking about long-term partnerships with Samsung, for example, and then also like how you kind of turned it around on your channel and found a format that worked for you. I feel like that would be helpful to a lot of our listeners. Also uh, quickly before you guys do get into it, huge congratulations on the studio, by the way, it looks sick from like what you guys have been posting. looks fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, I'll, I'll start with just the partnership side and then I'll, I mean, Colin really has, has crafted our format. So I'll let him take that part. But, you know, on the partnership side, we've been in the YouTube business for 10 years. We've, you know, we, this is our second go around on, on having a YouTube channel. And, uh, that's allowed us to kind of understand the ins and outs of, of the business because we've been on both sides of it. We've been creators, but we've also represented creators. Yeah. And that's, that's taught us a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, it's also taught us how to deal with bigger brands and, and agencies and have those conversations. So when we left our last job, we did have a couple of clients in the sports world, one of which was new balance, which was our most uh, significant client. Okay. And again, that's a, that's a really big company. Um, and so to understand how to operate with them and what's valuable to them about content was really important for us, but we struggled for a long time for, I think a few reasons. One, because we couldn't find a format that, that really, you know, we could stick to and we didn't have a posting cadence that we could stick to. So when you don't have those things, it's really hard to buy as a advertiser when I don't know what I can expect. I don't know when I can expect it. I mean, imagine any other product. How do you buy it if you have no idea what it's going to look like and when it's going to come? Yeah, exactly. Of course. So it's really hard to buy. So I think that that was one part that was challenging for us. We were really good at making videos. We were making videos for other people, but on our channel, it was hard to, for anyone to understand what they could expect. That was one thing. And you know, the second thing was just the brand, Colin and Samir, hadn't been around that long. Even though we had been making YouTube videos for like six years together at the time, yeah. the Colin and Samir brand wasn't well-known enough in the marketplace. And so I think the one thing that Colin and I talk about a lot is time in market. So how long are you in a marketplace for people to actually trust that you are a you know credible brand and that you are worth you know investing in and that yeah. I should put my money behind you because it will up-level my brand? And so- We'd been working on this Samsung partnership for a long time. It came through because of some of the time that we spent at 368 through Jack Coin and and you know even pre pre 368 it being Beam. We ended up there and and you know connecting with all those people. So that's how we got into the Samsung conversation. 
but it was about two years from starting the Samsung conversation to inking the deal. Yeah. So in that time, it felt very much like in December of last year that there was no chance that that deal was going to come through because it had already been you know almost two years or a year and a half. And then it just happened all of a sudden in January where it was like, they have unpacked, we've been wanting to work together for almost two years. And again, the fact that we were still creating, we were still you know, out there on the platform and, you know, that time in market really helped that in January, we were credible enough for them to give us that opportunity and say, come up on stage, announce the S20 Ultra, and let's explore a long-term partnership with you. And what does a deal like that look like? Because I've worked with Samsung a lot on licensing content and kind of one-off things because our situations are a little different since I'm a reviewer. Mm -hmm. I can't have like a year-long partnership with a brand I review, but I've worked with them on like producing some commercials and things like that. What does a year-long partnership look like? Is it like a certain amount of content you have to make for them? Is it public appearances and using your likeness? Like how does it kind of deal like that break down? Yeah, you, you really nailed it. It sounds like you know. <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> it's a lot, honestly, it's kind of a lot like an athlete endorsement really where like first and foremost, you know, like we're uh, ambassadors and supporters of the brand. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, initially there were a lot of events that we were going to be at to act as ambassadors, to be on panels, uh, to be creating content at the events. But of course, like the world totally changed. And along with events, we also had uh, like a full slate of, of content of different types, different platforms to make throughout the year. So really what's happened is like, you know, content kind of has increased and the events have, have decreased with everything that's happened. So we get, we get access to the we get access to all the devices. Like right now we have this, uh, the, the uh, Note 20 Ultra. Pretty sick. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, which is, which is awesome. It's, it's super cool. Um, we get access to the devices. We make content with them. Some of the content lives on their platforms. Some of the content lives on our platforms. Yeah, yeah. And then we also get to, because this year has shifted so much and events are no longer a part of the conversation, we've gotten to pitch out new ideas. And, and one of those ideas is an interview show called Self-Taught, which we will be hosting on our channel. Oh, I saw that. That's so sick. Yeah, it's super cool where we get to interview other members of Team Galaxy, mm-hmm. which are, you know, the other people who have a, the same deal as us. Yeah. Um, and so episode, so many of them. Yeah, 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 episode one's with Jake Roper from Vsauce, which is like so incredible. He's awesome. Oh, that's, that's sick. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and so we get to do what we love, but it's supported by them. And, and that is what makes a really good brand partnership is when they're authentically supporting your ideas and your creativity and being flexible with, yeah, this year has changed, but you know we have to lean in as ambassadors and creators and say, let's come up with some new ideas of how we can you know, bring to life this, this team that we're a part of, Team Galaxy, yeah. how we can really showcase how awesome these devices are and how we can do that on our platform in an authentic way that our audience is excited about. Yeah, I mean, so I think it's so interesting. A lot of the people that used to work at Samsung worked at 368 or still work at 368. Mm-hmm. That's actually how I kind of got invited to 368 the first time because I'd worked with Kelsey on some licensing stuff. Yep. And a lot of the people on Team Galaxy are at 368 a lot of the time. So it's kind of like its own like community. I feel like Samsung is one of the few brands that really is like ingrained in the creative community in a way that a bunch of other like smartphone brands just aren't yet. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a huge opportunity there. And you also have a deal with Storybox, right? Mm-hmm. Is that another year-long partnership? It is. Yes, it's a year-long partnership. That came to life a long time ago. They were one of the early earliest supporters of our brand. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Like maybe four years ago at this point. Oh, wow. Three, three four wow. years. Not, not when the partnership took effect, but I think it was around three, four years ago, we were making a, a video for Gatorade as part of our first project. And we pitched an idea 
to Gatorade. And in the pitch, there was, uh, we pitched it in a, a video version. We used a clip of a jet plane and a clip of a cheetah. And they saw the pitch. Okay. It was like a sample of what we were going to make for them. And they really liked it. And then they were like, that should be part of the video. Okay. So we had this like 90 second sample that we sent as part of a pitch. And they were like, all right, good to go. Like, we want that in the overall piece. And we were like, man, okay, well, we just took that clip of the cheetah and, you know, of the jet plane off the internet. We can't put that into a branded piece of content for Gatorade. So I had actually a friend uh, who I knew worked in content libraries and actually happened to work at Storyblocks, but I didn't know, I wasn't necessarily aware of Storyblocks at the time. And he ended up telling me, he was like, here, here you go. You can license this clip here, these two clips that are different, but pretty much like totally, like they worked perfectly for what we needed. Uh, and that was the beginning of working with Storyblocks That's so and really like seeing the utility of their product like right away. And then we just kept that relationship up. Yeah. They actually were one of the first sponsors for me. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. I work a lot with Space Station, who I know you guys work with as well. Mm -hmm. But even prior to Space Station, I'd worked with them maybe like two or three years ago also. And that was like one of my first brand deals. And it was pretty cool. But I feel like we should take a quick break right now because we're going to reach our record limits. Yes. Okay. When we come back, let's talk a lot about direct-to-consumer, storytelling, and then maybe you'll audit our channel and tell us what we're doing well and what we're not doing as well. Okay. Okay. We'll be right back. Let's do it. All right, everybody, welcome back from the break. Hope you guys got something to drink, ideally some cold brew. You know how we are over here on this podcast. Uh, but anyway, getting back into it, Colin, Samir, I wanted to ask if you could continue talking a little bit more about your channel and a little bit, touch a little bit on your format so we can get and talk a little bit more about storytelling. And I think that's a really big theme for this episode that we'd love to talk to you guys about. Sure, yeah. So it, it took us a really long time to find a format that works on YouTube and that we like doing. I mean, I think we really just found it like, five months ago. Like really it's taken three and a half years. Uh, and I think a lot of that is because of the fact that in the beginning, we didn't have a very clear vision for what the Colin and Samir channel was supposed to be. You know, what are, what are the things that Colin and Samir want to talk about? And like, what do we stand for? What's the community that we really want to build? I think at the time that we started the channel, we were just really interested in continuing to tell stories together. Okay. Like storytelling was always first and foremost, like let's just tell really good stories. But we were telling really good stories on an inconsistent time frame. Like there was no expectation to the audience of when they could see these stories. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no expectation of what the story would necessarily be about. Yeah. So we would really shift from topic to topic to topic. Yeah, you made one with like uh, Cody Warner. Mm -hmm. And like, I love that video, but that's totally, completely different than anything you'd make now. Totally, yeah. There's a lot of videos we, we would definitely not make now. But the main thing is we we jumped around so much and storytelling was always at the forefront. So we were finding audiences, but they were different audiences every time and they couldn't necessarily stick with us. And that just led to a lot of uncertainty. And I think all the uncertainty sort of came to a head. And finally, Samir had an idea. He was like, you know, we've been talking a lot about Beam and what's happening with Casey. Why don't we just make a video talking about that? Well, at the time, Casey, such a big part of Casey's brand was a comprehensive review. I don't know if you remember that. He would always make a joke. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I was like, what if we do a comprehensive review of Beam News? Okay, that's sick. That was a good idea. Like, I had so many thoughts. I mean, like, I, I'm a, I mean, Casey Neistat, someone who's influenced a lot of my even decision making to make videos for the internet, and uh, just such a huge fan of his. And and when the the Beam News channel 
came out, I was like, there's so much that they're, I feel like they could be doing better here. Like I, I just like wanted to share my thoughts. I felt like uh, it was so important. And Colin and I sat and reviewed the channel together all the time. And we were like, totally. why aren't they doing this? Like, this is what we want to see from them. <laughs> and so it was just like, what if we make a comprehensive review of Beam News? And I think that also just had to do with shifting our expectation a little bit. I, I think we were going into every video thinking about video ideas that could be watched by anyone. Anyone would enjoy this video, right? That's a video we should make. Like so broad. And before making the Beam video, the goal was well, we want the 15 people in the Beam audience or in the Beam office who we respect to watch our work and see what we can do. Uh, so that was the goal, right? Yeah. It was like, how do we get those 15 people sitting in New York to watch our video? Let's make that video. And uh, it worked. I mean, like we had a really good time putting that video together. I think we told a really good story around Beam. And within hours of the video coming out, you know, the entire, so many people from the company were commenting on the video, sharing it on Twitter. And Jack... Uh, reached out to us. So I think that was like, oh my gosh, oh, like really? this is, yeah. And, and wow. And so even though the viewership was around the same, you know, a day after posting the video as our other videos, the response felt drastically different. It was like, oh, well, this is a topic we authentically like to have. Mm -hmm. And this is a response that is like, at the time felt like life-changing. Like these are people that are so inspirational to us yeah. uh, and that we're so interested in learning more about. And here they are commenting on our video. Here they are reaching out to us on Twitter and in emails. And so that was the beginning of like finding the format of like, okay, well let's, let's shift our thinking a little bit and not like, not think about, you know, the entire audience being everyone who watches YouTube. Let's make the audience like, let's think smaller. Let's think about an audience of one person or a small group of people. And let's continue to dial in on what we're interested in, which is creator business and, and the creator industry. And yeah. it took a long time for us to understand that like we need to like to find success on YouTube. It helps to stick on that topic. I think the interesting thing was at, at that point, like those type, we made a couple of those type of videos. Okay. They were all following a similar format, but we weren't able to stick to it because I think we still felt like we wanted to create other stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we would make one of those videos. It would do it much better than the other ones, but then we would come out with like a vlog and like an update video and like stuff that we just were like, but wait, hold on. This is what we wanted to make. Yeah. We want to explore this stuff too, but it just wouldn't, it just didn't work. And, and like, it, I mean, it didn't work in terms of viewership. It was still fun to put together, but it didn't work in terms of viewership. And I remember we had lunch one day with uh, Matt from Yes Theory yeah, yeah. and uh, we were sitting with him and asking him his perspective on our channel. And I remember he said something pretty brutally honest. He was like, um, your vlogs are really boring. And he was like, but your breakdown episodes are really good. So he was like, do that. Cause no one else can do that, but anyone can make these vlogs and yours aren't very interesting. Like you're not going to compete in the vlogging space. Wow. But you can compete here because it's your own thing and no one else is doing it. And I think even from then it took, you know, a while to, um, to be like, are you sure we're not good at vlogging? Yeah. <laughs> I think we just, it's just that internal desire to like express yourself in different ways, which does not meet the, yeah, you don't want to like limit yourself. Yeah. But it doesn't meet the platform's desire for you. Yeah. The platform has a certain you know, it, it, it has needs, it has an algorithm that uh, works in a certain way. And it's, it's doesn't, it doesn't meet the like, I can make anything anytime for anyone. Yeah. And uh, that, that's something that I think we were really inspired again. Like you watch Casey and he could make like anything about his life interesting, but that was a really serious storytelling skill to be able to make mowing the lawn interesting to 2 million people is 
a craft. It's also like a different time. Yeah, it was a different time, but that's also a craft that like very few people are capable of. And I think he's one of those people. hundred percent. And it was hard for us to make it interesting, like just doing nothing, right? Like yeah. doing the mundane was really hard to, to make interesting, but we did find out that we have really unique thoughts around the content industry and the creator industry. Yeah. And no one does it like you guys do. I appreciate that. Right? Yeah, it's very your, different. Your format is, I think one thing that you guys have mentioned in other episodes is creating a video, knowing that it's like, who's going to watch it, mm-hmm. like creating it for the one, like Will Smith or Beam. And I've kind of done the same thing. I think that I made a video for Casey yep. like three years ago and that's how I met him. And then that kind of like changed the trajectory of my channel. He shouted out my channel. I remember that. A lot of people watching this are probably from him. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's like definitely a skill that you kind of like get better at, like figuring out how to, like sometimes I'll make a video in hopes that a brand that I want to work with sees it, even though I know that it won't do well view wise. Um, and I think that's something you guys get complimented on all the time is networking and the fact that you like know everyone. And I think that a lot of like my success and maybe your success as well comes from like knowing a lot of people and like being really invested in like the creator space for people that are like listening to this and they want to know you or know me or know any other creator. Like what's your advice to kind of like break into the creator space? Meaning break into the creator space from like a networking perspective, like actually meet other creators or become like, like you're a creator yourself and you don't have any other creator friends. Like I know for myself, like I have tons of YouTube friends, but there are other tech YouTubers that don't know any of the other creators. And I feel like you guys know, so many different creators mm-hmm. in all different fields. So I think, uh, you know, again, the reason for that is just because we've been in the space for about 10 years. Yeah. And when we were able to get to the point where, you know, we could have conversations with other creators, like Yes Theory is probably the, the first big creator that we we met and got to spend time with and become friends with and collaborate with, is that we had a level of empathy that was unparalleled because of our experience in the YouTube space. And the reason why it's fun for us to talk and us to talk to other creators is because we all share the same experiences. Yeah, that's true. And so with that empathy, with that empathy becomes the ability to provide value. Is like, I know what it's like for me to be a creator. So what would make it valuable to the other person for, you know, like even in this instance where yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. I want to record a podcast. So we're like, all right, well, let's set up a nice light. Let's give her a really nice shot. Let's record really nice audio because you're providing value to us by giving us a platform. We want to provide value back. We want to make it a good experience because if we were doing this podcast with you, we would want the same. And so that level of empathy bleeds through your ability to network. Like whether I'm talking to Mr. Beast on the phone, uh, talking to, you know, Cody Warner, talking to a creator who's just starting out, there's certain experiences that are just universal. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, true. the self-doubt of making a video, the feedback from the audience, the uncertainty of where this career leads. Like there's so many things that you can empathize with yeah. um, that give you that a base no level. no other job really has No other job way. has it. Yeah. No other job has like the one out of 10 rating, right? right? Like, yeah, on, like, right. The of like the app, thing and it ruins you, yeah. your day or makes your day, right? right? Yeah. So I think that's like, you know, time and market again is a really important piece of, you know, understanding what it's like to be a creator and then also not being selfish in your, in your networking, like actually understanding what it means to create a connection with someone and provide value to them and, and what would be valuable for them to provide you. Like just understanding the dynamics of relationships. Yeah. The thing about YouTube is that you're one video away from connecting with someone that you, you know, could never imagine to connect with. I don't, I mean, seeing you on Casey's channel was so spectacular. Jack Conti, remember when he made his video? I mean, that was like the coolest cold outreach I've ever seen in my life. And I think it inspires a lot of people. Like we, Colin and I were at Will Smith's 50th birthday party. Wait, what? I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. That was the, the Grand Canyon jump. And it's like, 
how did we end up there? Like that all happened through making videos. So, um, and, and also empathizing with people as creators. So that's what I would say is the number one trait that you need to be a good networker is empathy and like understanding the other person's shoes. That's an interesting answer. What it's like Mm -hmm. to be them. Yeah. I I never would have expected that answer, but I feel like that actually makes a ton of sense. Like, I also feel like it's, it kind of goes back to like how you succeed on YouTube too, like not creating selfish content. I feel like a lot of people create content that they find interesting, kind of like what you went through and what I went through also in the beginning of my channel. Like you really want to make the video and then you assume that everyone else wants to watch the video, but it's just not the case. Like I really wanted to make some vlog style stuff, which was totally different than my tech format. And while some people watched it, it just did not get nearly the amount of audience that I expected it to. And I feel like storytelling, if like you're really effective at it, then you can kind of branch out maybe a little bit. But let's talk a little bit about storytelling. I feel like we were just talking about this on our last episode. Storytelling has kind of hit every area of YouTube, except for the tech space. Oh, 100%. Like the tech space is a little bit behind in storytelling, where everyone kind of has a very similar format of I switched phones or it's cookie cutter. review or like whatever it is. And every channel has a very similar format. And the ones that are growing a lot right now have changed the format and have incorporated a lot more storytelling. Like Mr. Who's the Boss is the fastest growing tech channel right now. He's getting a million subscribers every three months. Yeah. And it's because he really has changed the storytelling format in tech. And I feel like there's a huge need for that in innovation. So I think it'd be really interesting if you told me like on my channel what I'm doing well and what I'm not doing well in regards to like storytelling, thumbnails, etc. I would obviously learn a lot. And I also think like a lot of our listeners are that tech creator base. And I think it'd be really helpful. I'm literally learning a lot right now. Just listening to everything. I've been just kind of sitting back and absorbing everything. Uh, and like everything you guys have said has like resonated at least with me like a ton. Cause I am a small creator. I am still trying to grow, trying to figure myself out and like listening to everything right now, though I haven't been like talking too much. Like it's been mind blowing to me. So yeah, definitely hearing some stuff about around tech and like storytelling in this space would be fantastic. I think everyone would love to hear that. Yeah. I think the thing about technology that's really interesting, and we talked about this recently, we just made one of our first tech videos because we did a review of the uh, S20 5G. Not um, out yet. It's not oh, out yet. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we, we we just went through the process of making that. And like the thing that you have to tap into, especially us who are not, we're not necessarily like tech guys. Like I was never the one to get the brand new tech. It was like, you know, it's just a thing that I use, but what you start to realize when you're making a technology video is that this is something that affects everybody's life. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about a mobile device, you're talking about something that's in every single person's pocket. So again, back to that concept of empathy, when making, creating any type of connection, when you're trying to make a connection with an audience, you also have to empathize with them and meet them where they are. How does this device actually affect my life? How does it actually, you know, transform me? Uh, in our course, we talk a lot about yeah, like transformational storytelling. Yeah, yeah transformative storytelling. Mm-hmm. So the concept is like, what does it mean for me to have this new device? How does it affect my life? How does it transform me? Because you're right, creators can't be selfish, but audiences are. Yeah, audiences are selfish. Audiences are there for their own personal transformation. So when you are describing something to me, when it comes to a mobile device. It depends on what audience you're trying to hit, but I might not care. Me personally, I don't care about the technical specs. I care about if I can send my family a cool video. Mm-hmm. I, I care about um, getting on a video chat with my dad. I care. My dad cares about getting on a video chat with his friends in India. Like that's what people care about. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you start to integrate storytelling, storytelling is about driving an emotion out of an audience. And so it's what is the emotional component to this piece of technology? 
How does it change my life? And you guys talk a lot about like money also being transformative, like yeah. which inherently is kind of built into a tech video because you're like, is it worth it for the money? So I feel like the tech space has like a format where you could easily integrate storytelling, but it's also a little bit harder in some ways because you don't necessarily have like the act one, act two, conflict act three in a tech review. Mm-hmm. How would you guys say that like you could kind of integrate Great those principles into like a review video. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I agree that it doesn't have an act one, act yeah. two. I think everything it's inherently yeah. an act one, act two, act yeah. three. Okay. Because a new device comes out and your title and thumbnail is already the act one of like, oh wait, I like that. What does Jacqueline think about this? Like that's already like what does this person think about this new device? Like you're already have the setup. Okay. Um, I think within that you can get a little bit more granular on like, okay, how do I actually raise the stakes, raise the tension a little bit so that someone wants to wait until the act three. And whether that's like saying in the beginning that you're going to review this one aspect of it at the end, which is maybe one of the mm-hmm. most important aspects. Yeah. Or wait till the end because I'll have my three key takeaways about this device. Like there's ways to structure it, but I do think inherently like a tech review is I, a great act one. I also think there's ways to develop conflict uh, and make it personal to you. Because the reality is in tech videos, the most important thing is that when I watch it, it can only be made by you. Yes. If if your video could be made by 10 other tech reviewers, then you know it's not gonna be, you're not gonna develop an audience. But if you if you look at a device and say, how did this change my life? How did this solve a problem in my life? And then you can start to structure your video around that, right? So if you start by saying something around like, Samsung just sent me the new Note 20, and honestly, this has changed my life completely. There's been something that's been bothering me for 10 years of my life, and this has finally solved it. Dude, you guys are like geniuses. Yeah, I, I feel that. Wait, so what What was that, right? I'm watching, I'm like, wait, hold on. Something has been bothering you for 10 years, and this thing solved it? What was it? <laughs> yeah. You just created conflict, right? And so it's like, it's it's just that thing that's connecting to someone else where maybe they have something that's been bothering them for a long time and that they need a solution to? Or can you ask a question? Can you ask a question of like, hey, have you ever been watching a video and it starts buffering? And once you've asked that question, it's like, yeah, I have. Now, can I introduce 5G to you? Yes, right? Because now I can show you a problem and a solution. I can create a conflict and a resolution. That's so interesting. So that's where I think you can build act one, act two, act three structures around anything. That is, that is you know, the, the premise of our course is the foundations and fundamentals of storytelling around whatever you're doing. Even if you're talking in a job interview, even if you're on a date, whatever you're doing, you're building that storytelling structure to just make sure that you have something that's going to connect. Like your your message is actually going to get across if you structure it in that way. Yeah, that's actually so interesting. I also think that, you know, a lot of what we talk about in our storytelling course is around like your primary and your secondary narrative. Right. And like your primary narrative is like the tech review. But the secondary narrative, if you look at a show like Hot Ones, is the fact that they're eating hot wings and they keep getting increasingly spicy as they go throughout the show. I actually integrated this in my like in my video after watching your storytelling course. And the watch time for the video was up like so much, like 30 percent. Great case study. That's awesome. That's a great case study. Yeah. Yeah, So like I think with tech specifically, because it is such a big genre, And it might be easy as you're getting into it to like follow a format that everyone else follows to really think about like, what's my secondary narrative? What's going to set my video apart from someone else's? Like, is it the way that I shoot my B-roll of the product that people want to wait and see like how it appears on screen? Is it the way that I test the product at one point? You know, just thinking about 
some of those different things that'll really set you apart from someone else. You can even do fun stuff like Easter eggs in tech videos or, or even stuff like- I'm trying to um, do more of that. Yeah, where you could do like, yeah. you know, and by the end of this video, I'm gonna show you the most embarrassing photo in my uh, gallery, right? So there's just like fun stuff to build, build a, yeah. subplots and build uh, conflict out of anything. And that's what good storytelling is. And I think that's what you're saying is that whether you're talking about tech uh, whether you're talking about plumbing, whether you're talking about anything, you're building that act one, act two, act three structure around it. And that's what makes it interesting. I think, again, we-, we Yeah, dude, you've changed my mind. I, <laughs> I, I, feel, I can see it that way, 100%. Yeah. We have a format where we're talking about you know, business and, and the creator industry, and we're trying to make it interesting to, you know, we, we've identified our audience groups. And if you, if you look at our storytelling course, it's something that we talk about is identities and emotions. Yeah. So we've, we've, you know, we have our identities written on our whiteboard right now, which is um, we're talking to career creators. So people like you who are creators for their career. Okay. Um, we're talking to aspirational creators, people who want to become full-time creators. We're talking to the creator industry, people who make money based on creators. And then we're talking to one of the most important audience groups, which is non-believers. Okay. People who don't believe that this is a legitimate career or this is a leg legitimate industry. And so it's like the devil's advocate, right? That's and so when we think about our videos, we're thinking about those four audience groups. And then we can start to pull what emotions we need to drive out of them, right? And like, and now yeah. when you think about our videos, like when you think about our most recent videos, um, you can probably start to understand that those four audience groups are represented. Yeah. yeah. Like when you think about um, our last video was about memberships, was about like paid content, direct to consumer content. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's clickbait uh, in saying that, you know, we, we bought Cardi B's OnlyFans, but we back it up. We actually did buy Cardi B's OnlyFans and we showed yeah. it to you. Yeah, exactly. You guys bought it. Yeah. We're essentially telling career creators like, hey, look into direct to consumer content. Here's the options you have. Like really consider this because there is a serious scale to be had here. We're telling aspirational creators that as you build, you need to build enough influence to sell content to your audience because advertising isn't super you know, reliable over time. We're telling the industry, creator industry, that this is all about, this wave is about to happen. And like the amount of outreach we had from the industry after that video is, is really large. And then we're telling the non-believers when we're showing you that Cody Co and Noel Miller are making $82,000 a month that, hey guys, this is a very serious industry. Like these are serious numbers, yeah, yeah. there's serious influence here. And so when you convince a non-believer like that, if they see that, they're the people who are gonna share it. Because if you can convince a non-believer, sure. they're gonna share it to 10 people because yeah. they're gonna try and convince their non-believer friends using your video. Also acknowledging non-believers reinforces your community that you do have, your believers. Like just the existence of a non-believer and acknowledging that they're out there like drives home that you're a part of the community that believes. I mean, I think that's all like super valid. When I recently, in the past five months also, I've definitely changed my content style a lot. Like I was just putting out videos without really thinking about like the story behind them and the hook and stuff. And I talked to this amazing guy named Liron Segev, who we've had on the podcast. And he's like a consultant and a YouTuber himself. Yeah. Uh, and he like changed the entire trajectory of my channel with like a bunch of advice on like thumbnails and storytelling and things like that. What do you guys think is like one thing that I could be doing better on the channel right now? Well, let's pop it open. Let's let's do a live channel audit right now. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. This is going to be sick. Okay. So number one, let's talk about titles. How do you think of titles? So I used to just like do living with and then do the device, but now I come up with the title beforehand mm -hmm. for like the story. So like the Pixel Buds, Music Lovers Beware. It's like me tapping into the people that may buy this for music, but now they're like, oh no, like should I not? 
And then the entire video is based around that. Yeah. So I think there's some interesting things here. Like you, you are speaking in, in my opinion, you're speaking to an audience that has to know you to click on these videos okay. in a lot of, in a lot of these instances. And I think, uh, you know, that you can have a good, a healthy balance of speaking to your core super fans and then speaking to the fans that like might come across this video. Yeah. And so there's an interesting, there's an interesting scale, right? Let me look at uh, some videos from a month ago. Uh, your one plus eight review has 32,000 views. Your one plus Nord camera versus, you know, versus Samsung has a hundred uh, and 1,000 views. Yeah. Your Pixel 4a My Thoughts has 8.9 thousand views. Those are all within the same month. Yeah. Uh, and three drastically different viewership levels. The one in the middle that has 100,000 views, you are suggesting something in there where you're comparing different devices. Yeah. The comparison of the devices is inherently a conflict, correct? Yeah. Because I have to know one versus the other versus the other. Yeah. Now the other two on the, uh, I'm looking at this, I could screenshot it for you. The other two are just you in the thumbnail, basically suggesting that I'm just going to watch you and your thoughts. That's interesting. So that already is going to have a smaller audience, right? Because you're, you haven't suggested any sort of conflict, any sort of transformation, any sort of like reason that I would watch this till the end you're only suggested something for your core fans who want to spend time with you. So that is like the first thing that I notice is that you, you need to pull out what makes tech transformational. And you need to think about that exercise that we do in our, in our course called headlines and think about like right before you put out a video, write 10 different titles for the video. Okay. Like don't, don't leave it at one, you know, pixel 4a, my thoughts, Quite basic. Uh, you have a price on there right? You have a price on there. So what's transformational? Price? Is it worth it? That's a question that incites a little bit more conflict, right? $350 smartphone. Is it worth it? I don't know. There, there's probably like, you could just start to brainstorm deeper into that. Yeah. Title or considering that comparison works, can you compare the Pixel 4a to another type of phone? And even though the goal is still to address the Pixel 4a, you loop people in by adding drama and tension mm -hmm. by incorporating another phone. What do you think about the, like the OnePlus 8 Pro video, for example, has 114,000 views. And that's like a super basic two months ago. And if I look at that, and then I look at the A51 video, those videos have completely different views. And I would say like the thumbnail is pretty similar and the title's the same. And obviously interest level and device is different, but do you think that there's another, like was that title strong or was it just that there was high interest in that video? In my opinion, you're relying on the device, right? Okay. And the interest in the device. So there's there's part of it where you just have to sink in to the fact that there might be a smaller audience for one device versus another device. Yeah, that's valid. That's just part of your reality. And when you're reliant on that, that's going to be, you know, something that that we've gone through before where we we used to really structure the breakdown around specific creators. Yeah. And there was different audience levels for those creators. Of course, yeah, yeah. And that was the reality, yeah. right? And so if you're if you're if your clickbait is a device, then you're reliant on the audience for that device. So you have to start to think about like what makes this interesting if you're not into this device. What are some other descriptors that I can, you know, base this around? Because if I don't know like if I don't know the term A51, 
then this video is not for me. Yeah. So you've just cut out a huge portion of people, even if they're interested in tech, even if they're interested in mobile device, you're relying on A51. Yeah. So what are you going to rely on? Like in our video where we want to break through to the industry and say direct to consumer content is coming. This is the biggest opportunity for creators. Who's in the thumbnail? Cardi B. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. we're, we're enticing <laughs> yeah. you with something that's, uh, we back up, but it allows us to then bring in like the biggest possible audience to come into our world. So, so I think that's what you have to think of. It's like, what is, what is the opportunity for you to bring in the biggest possible audience? And then how do you make sure in the first like 10, 15, 30 seconds that you are engaging them in a way that's going to keep them to the end, like creating a structure that's going to keep them to the end. Yeah. And this is in our course, but I think you can try to also like take the title out of it sometimes and just think like, does this one single frame that is the thumbnail, right. Yeah. is this a, is this a setup for a story? Like you you know, holding a phone with the text A51 as opposed to uh, OnePlus Nord, like when you have three phones being yeah. compared with each other, where I'm visually just seeing three mm-hmm. different experiences that I can tell are about to be compared. Like that tells a story without any need for audio, without any need for video. And without any need for, for text. The title. Yeah. yeah, for a title. Yeah, it's like the over-the-shoulder test. Yeah, but if you look at uh, Pixel 4a, my thoughts, you take out the title and it's an image of a smartphone with a camera with a price pointing to the camera. So if I was to tell you the title of that before seeing the title of that, I would assume that it had to do with, you know, money and cameras on phones. Which it did. I just didn't title it that way. Right. Which I probably should have. What about Pixel Buds Review, Music Lovers Beware? Is that like a solid title because it creates like some interest or would you have done something differently? No, I would have done something differently there. I probably would have. I mean, I think I would I would add some competition there with other uh Okay. With other headphones, right? I think you take the lessons from your uh, OnePlus Nord camera versus, and you do a comparison video there. And even if the comparison happens in the beginning, where you just like run rapidly through like the scale of all the different headphones that there are, and then you go into this, that allows me to like understand that it's a comparison. I would experiment. I would experiment leading with price as well. So would you say that you think like comparisons are just inherently more interesting? Like, because most of my channel is review videos, right? But would you say that I should always try to integrate a comparison into it? I have a question for you. What's the most viewed video on your channel? That is a good question. Let me look. I'm looking at it right now. And so uh, I think it'll answer your question. Is it a comparison? It's a comparison. My camera comparisons just inherently also do really, really well. It's a comparison and your thumbnail structure is exactly the same as the um, Nord one that we've been talking about. Yeah, those do so well every single time. The camera comparisons always do well. Yeah, if I look at your top videos, you have three videos in your top videos that have a thumbnail structure of three images next to each other. True. Yeah. So you need to learn from that, right? where like comparison is driving a ton uh, for you. Second most viewed video, you are reliant on the uh, device. But there's also like the dual narrative of like six things before buying. So like it's a hands-on plus or six things. Yeah, and I also think the, uh, a lot of these where, a lot of these where they do better, the, the um, devices are much bigger in frame. They take up a lot more of the frame. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was extremely helpful. Yeah. I think you, you just, you just take a look at your metrics and like, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work on our end to explore what makes a good thumbnail for Colin and Samir. And really that's down to like YouTube gives you the metrics, like take a look at your top videos, um, take a look at your highest click through rate. You know, you have, uh, the, the last quarter of this year is coming up the way, the way we're starting to do it is really just look back at the quarter. So we'll do in September, we'll take a look at Q3 
and we'll take a look at, at the third quarter of this year. What videos were the best? What were the worst? What was the highest click-through rate? What was the lowest click-through rate? What was the highest retention? What was the lowest retention? Like obsess over the metrics and, and it'll help guide your decision-making. YouTube studio is your best consultant. That's your first consultant. Yeah, it's actually sick. Go, go there first. Mm-hmm. I've changed my thumbnail style so much in the last five months and the click-through ratio has doubled since then. But I think it is valid that all my camera comparisons just do much better. And now it's just figuring out how to integrate the comparison style into the full reviews. That was extremely helpful. Yeah. I know we're getting a little lengthy here. So let's move on to hot takes. First thing I want to ask you is direct to consumer because you've mentioned that you think like advertising is maybe not like the most reliable thing long term. And I've been thinking a lot about how I do direct consumer on my channel because I, I think that a great direct consumer would be like creating phone accessories for tech. Mm-hmm. But for you guys, courses has been super successful so far, right? Like the first one. So can you maybe give a little insight into direct to consumer and how to like approach it effectively and figure out what your audience would kind of buy into? Yeah, we, we just did a call with uh, an awesome creator named Amanda Rachley. She's the second guest on our self-taught show and okay. she sells bullet journals. Oh, sick. And she has oh. a really great company that sells bullet journals and that's her merchandise. And uh, that's how she goes direct to consumer and it's organic to her content. So for us, the way we think about it is that we consider our content educational. Okay. So what is the direct-to-consumer way to scale education? It's through an online course, right? So that's that's our value. So what's your value prop oh, to the world, right? What are you offering to your audience? Which in our case, it's education. It's education and information. Yeah. So how do you create a transaction for education? It's through an online course. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's a question you have to answer. And then what you start to learn is that in the direct-to-consumer market, for the creator business, the reality is that the audience is going to value you higher than any brand in the world. Yeah. And so you look at, let's look at Emma Chamberlain. Emma Chamberlain drinks coffee in all of her videos, Yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting here as an audience member getting a lot of value from Emma. And really, what is Emma's value to the audience? It's actually, it's lifestyle. It's a best friend, right? I'm, I'm trying yeah. to be like Emma, whether it's fashion, mm-hmm. whether it's her jokes, whether it's trying vegan foods, mm-hmm. like- I just watched a Trader Joe's haul from her I and saw I that. Like, was like, oh man, so I, good. I watched it with my fiance and we were like, oh, we should buy that. Like we look at one of the things. And so you start to realize that's the relationship she has with her audience. So of course she's going to sell coffee. And it makes so much sense. Because I'm sitting here and I'm looking to have a similar lifestyle as Emma Chamberlain. So when she starts to sell coffee, that's going to be valued way higher in the long term than if she had a deal with Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. Starbucks is not going to value Emma Chamberlain as high as her audience values her. And so that's that's the most important thing when it comes to direct to consumer in the creator business. That's so interesting. What about like so for a text channel, right? I feel like and for you guys too actually, it's education but it's also entertainment. Mm-hmm. You guys are getting into selling merch and stuff as well. Would that person that buys your merch be a different audience member than that buys the course or are you do you think that like the same audience member would buy a t-shirt from you as they would buy a course from you. I think it's the same audience. And I think merchandise is a way to identify with your community. I, I agree with that. Yeah. One thing that Colin and I talked about with Casey, Casey released merch really late, but in the, in the heart of his daily vlogs, I would have loved to identify myself as a member of the Casey Neistat community. If you're walking down the street and you see someone else in the merch, you can identify a member of your community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's important about creator merchandise. Like, yes, theory would seek discomfort. Uh, a lot of times I'm walking down the street, I'll see someone wearing seek discomfort and I'm able to strike up a conversation with them because they're a part of the same community as me. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think it's yeah. an identifiable way to wrap your arms around a community and for the community to wrap 
their arms around each other, right? It's like, we all are a part of this community. How do I identify with each other in the real world through merchandise? Yeah, I think ultimately though, it is the same audience, like Samir was saying, but you know, like any subset of people, there are going to be some that are interested in taking a $99 online storytelling course that are going to be interested in remote learning. And then there's going to be a different subset and it can intersect in some places, but there'll be a different group of people who are like, no, I'm more interested in the hat or a different type of product, right? Yeah. Here's the important thing when you're a creator. You have to understand that the business that you're in is aggregating a group of people and pointing them in a certain direction. So if that's your business, sometimes you're going to point them in the direction of the advertiser. But if you can, if you have enough influence over them, you can point them in the direction of your own projects. Yeah. And that's what's really dynamic is like, you know, and, and most creators do a healthy mix of both. Would your next direct-to-consumer be the merch? Or are you also working on like another course? Like, What's your plans for direct-to-consumer? Because I know you said eventually you want it to kind of expand and be a lot of your revenue. Yes. And and uh, the next iteration of it is not, not only going to be merchandise, but most importantly, the thing that we're taking the closest look at is membership. Oh, yeah. That's so sick. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much opportunity that there. That would be dope. Yeah. The reason membership is so important, and we say this in, in a lot of our videos now, is that it's recurring. People are paying every month. So monthly recurring revenue is really important. As you know, in the creator business and the advertiser business, you could have a month where you just all of a sudden blow through your expectations from a revenue perspective. And then the next month you could make nothing. Yeah. And then the next month you could make nothing. And then the next month, all of a sudden you have revenue. And so that uh, level of not being able to predict your revenue does not allow you to hire. It does not allow you to get a studio. Yeah, it does not no. allow you to build the infrastructure to actually be able to create a media company. So the path to recurring revenue is really important. And our path is learning how to create direct-to-consumer content was number one. So creating a course, um, selling it at a premium to get our super fans in there and really create transformation within them, give the best possible experience to them, get feedback from them, and then scale that into a membership platform. That's sick. I, have you guys seen Matt Diavellas? Oh yeah, his yeah, is yeah, really impressive. Matt Matt is so intentional with everything he does. I, I envy that a lot and so I, I learn a lot from it, but every move he makes is like incredibly intentional. And I think I look at the Instagram account for Slow Growth Academy and I'm like, wow, this is so impressive. Like he's already built a community there. They have Mm -hmm. regular content. Uh, Everything is branded so well. So I think he's like, I always try and think of launching something new as inviting people to a party. And sometimes, you know, in, in our early days as entrepreneurs, I think we were quick to diversify and launch new things. But then you start realizing like, it's like having a party without a DJ, without drinks, without music. It's just like inviting people into a room that's not that exciting. Uh, but Matt, I think, did a really good job of inviting people to a space that was ready to receive those people. Is there literally anyone in tech right Marquez. now who has a membership besides? Well, he has a like Marquez has a YouTube based one, but like outside of YouTube, I feel like there's a lot of creators that have essentially created a subscription based on YouTube, but it doesn't really do too too much. Rather, like the ones that have gone outside of YouTube have have been the ones to actually like make a success, like a well-done one. So in tech, is there anyone has actually left YouTube for subscriptions yet? Yeah, the tech space, I feel like, is like kind of behind the curve in some oh, ways. I, like 100%. the tech space, there's career longevity in comparison to other like lifestyle channels. I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but I feel like I've seen people in tech be in it for 10 years and they're just getting like started with their channel growing. Whereas there's a ton of vloggers that maybe were super popular five years ago that aren't anymore. So I feel like there's like career longevity in it, but I also feel like it's behind the curve in a lot of like ways, like the storytelling way and also memberships. Like I think that there could be, and I do it actually on my Instagram a lot. I call it like tech 10, 
where like I have like the start chat feature on Instagram and people join in and then we do like a 10 minute conversation about tech and the people that join it's always a huge audience because we all have like the common interest of technology so I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there to like start like a slack or like a discord or something and then the figure like you have to figure out how to monetize it in some way which I know you guys actually have a slack with your course but I feel like there could be a membership even without that and offer some type of value in that way so everyone could like be part of the community. I feel like with tech, so much of the audience is just interested in getting the information first, like getting the right information, getting like breaking news. And that to me sounds like um, like a newsletter type of thing would potentially succeed in tech. Back to the longevity of tech creators. I think that's because all the all these massive global companies who are competing with each other are essentially your writers. Yeah. They're writing yeah. your video ideas, right? When they so release true. a new product, that's your video idea. So when we have to sit in here and try and craft a video idea yeah. um, based on like our thoughts and ideas and just like stuff that's happening in our head, that's a lot different than actually being like a constraint of, hey, make a video about this new like device. They're programming the idea and then they're putting tons of money behind yeah, ad spends true. for your content that you're now putting out, right? So like tech channels do really well in AdSense. Yeah, because the CPM is high. A lot of people want to advertise on tech videos. I think you guys know Super Seth probably. He's like a pretty popular tech YouTuber as well. Um, he also works with Samsung. And he was saying like the reason, exactly that, the reason why like everyone in tech does so well is because you kind of get to rely on tech for half the entertainment. Like you have to be an entertaining host, but the tech also like you can lean on it to be interesting and to kind of like, write the format for you. But I feel like because of that, unless you're extremely good, you're kind of replaceable. Like you could watch, you have to figure out how to make it so someone has to watch your review versus the hundred others on YouTube. Whereas I feel like for you guys, your videos are like super topic specific that you craft your idea so well that there's not gonna be another video necessarily doing exactly what you do. Right. Moving on a little bit from that, we do talk about like, okay, so at least within tech, it's always really consistent on how like what you kind of have to make in that space but i think something really interesting that you guys talk a lot about is tiktok and for me at least what i see tiktokers i see a lot of them just kind of following everyone's basically following the same trend it's okay cool i found this one sound i think it's hilarious i'm gonna use it but kind of on that note what what are your what's your overall take on tiktok creators and like a lot of how sorry and how a lot of them have been now moving and expanding from tiktok into different platforms and like how do you think you kind of foresee that going for a lot of them. I think that the 2020 Creator of the Year Award goes to TikTok. Like to TikTok as a whole. <laughs> yeah, dude, they're like their own creator. Yeah, TikTok as a whole. And I think uh, it's something that David Dobrik said on one of his podcasts that really resonated with us that TikTok as a platform is the biggest creator right now. So true. And I think that's that's really what we saw this year. We talk about TikTok a lot because I think it's natural. We, we, we've been talking about big creators and TikTok right when quarantine hit became the biggest creator. 100%. And yeah. now the, the kind of, the, the people within that community who have expanded to other platforms are converting at really high rates. I mean, I'm so impressed with the fact that the D'Amelios yeah. and Addison yeah. Ray and Bryce Hall are able to, like this, create millions of subscribers Crazy. and millions of views mm -hmm. on a consistent basis that they are just as interesting, uh, if not more interesting in long form than they were in short form. And I think that is uh, fascinating to me. It is amazing. And it's like, we have to kind of buckle up because these people can have as long of careers as David Dobrik, as Logan Paul, as Lele Pons. Like mm -hmm. it's the same roadmap, right? But just accelerated. You have the Vine roadmap, that is now on steroids where these people haven't even been on the internet for more than a year. And Charlie has 83 million 
followers on TikTok, and she's about to be the one. And she's arguably one of the most famous people in the world right yeah. now. And yeah. she will dominate on the YouTube platform probably for the foreseeable future. Her and Addison and and all that. But what about like the second tier, right? Because they're all doing really yeah. well. But I feel like the same thing happened with Vine. The second tier of creators that maybe relied on TikTok distributing their content and you enjoyed it, but you didn't necessarily know who they were. I feel like they're going to have a hard time moving to YouTube and like converting their audience. Yeah, I think I think any creator who doesn't have influence has a hard time. Like if you're reliant on the platform, you have a hard time. Like if if we are only creating content that's good because YouTube feeds it to people, then we can't sell a course. Yeah. Then no one actually cares about us. That's true. Right? But if you're actually providing value and building a community, then you are a, you know, influencer or a creator only if you have influence over your audience. Otherwise, you're maybe you also though could get discovered on one of the platforms and be really good to be on a network television show because it's kind of the same thing where it's like you're really good on camera, you're able to generate millions of views, but you actually don't have it in you to develop a relationship with these people. Yeah. So then let me plug you into other formats. So I think some of those people could get discovered. Some of them just aren't built to be creators. What do you think creates that distinction? Is it like the ability to be like a storyteller or is it like the ability to be vulnerable? Like what separates someone like Charlie D'Amelio who can convert her audience and have influence and have that connection with her audience from someone else that maybe is creating very similar content and is doing well on TikTok because the algorithm is feeding their content but can't convert their audience. I think Charlie D'Amelio and Addison Ray and like Bryce Hall and all of them are a pretty unique case just from the understanding of what we know about TikTok and its beginnings that, you know, their intention was to create stars. Like that it was, if you're going to have a platform and you want people to come onto the platform, you're going to need to show everyone what a model for success looks like. So I think, you know, potentially Charlie and Addison and the stars sort of started to rise above. And then TikTok was like, let's throw jet fuel on that because we need stars. Not to say they're not great creators and they're not. Mm -hmm. No, I know what you mean. They're totally capable of moving their audiences. Um, But I think when it comes down to that middle tier of creators, that's when it's really going to come down to like your ability to just one, like time and market, stay in the game, like keep trying. Yeah. If it's something that you really want. Like if you have a, if you really want to be a creator and you're not Charlie D'Amelio, so you're not getting thrust into the limelight and having opportunities come at you left and right. It's like, okay, well maybe you need to follow the roadmap of everyone else. And like, you got to figure out, get your finances in lock first so that you have enough time and can create freely on these platforms until maybe it does work for you. But do you think it's like a certain skill set? Let's like take Charlie D'Amelio out. Like other people that maybe have transitioned from Vine, like David Dobrik to YouTube, like what made them different that they were able to do it versus other creators? Is it the storytelling ability or like the vulnerability? Like what does it for them? Yes, I I think it's storytelling. Like if you listen to Dobrik talk about editing, the way he obsessed about cutting his vlogs Mm -hmm. is the difference maker. Storytelling and the desire to problem solve around storytelling. Okay. Yeah, it's an entrepreneurial skill set. It's an entrepreneurial skill set because the second you become a creator, you are the CEO of your new startup, right? Which is yourself. You are the product. Your videos are the product. It's one of the most challenging products to market. It's it's one of the most challenging products um, to create. It's uh, it's really hard. So you become the CEO of your new startup, and it depends on how you guide the ship. Then, how do you manage yourself as a creator? How do you manage your product? How do you evolve your product? How do you obsess over your customer experience? That's all really important, right? And so I think that's why in our storytelling course, we focus so much on audience. Yeah. Because that's like in this business, you're creating a product, which is content, and you're delivering it to your audience, which are your customers. So like how much do you care about their experience? 
And I think that's what's important is that these TikTok creators, um, they've had the luxury where TikTok cares about the customer experience and TikTok has best customer experience, mm -hmm. right? They have the best customer experience. Now, when you're the CEO, how are you gonna create customer experience? Because on YouTube, YouTube has a good experience, but YouTube's relying on you to go find people, right? Like once they feel like you're worthy, they'll start feeding your content uh, to the masses, but not until then. So how good are you at creating a customer experience? That's valid. All right. We're getting a little long, so I want to like wrap it up with any final thoughts that you guys have. Also, I want to just say before we do that, your channel will be linked in the description, so everyone should definitely go check that out. And I'm also going to link your storytelling course because, not even kidding when I say this, I think it like has completely changed the way I approach videos, and it was like the best $99 I've spent. So highly recommend that you guys all check it out. That's awesome. Literally, Jacqueline has brought the, has told me about the storytelling course every single day, probably through the past couple of weeks. Yeah, it's. It's been in the podcast yeah, so many times. Yeah, literally. Like, as, like, my stuff we like this week. The stuff we like oh, this week, awesome. every week so has great. been, like, at least for the past three weeks that we've had planned videos, sorry, planned podcast, it's been you guys. You guys have been in it every single week. Like, so, for some reason, oh, I'll be like, so, oh, your awesome. new podcast yeah. is great. Yeah. All right, but leave us with, like, final thoughts. Like, what's, like, one actionable thing that someone can take away from listening to this to improve their videos or their storytelling or just get a better understanding of the creator space? Empathy and unselfish storytelling uh, in all of your interactions, connections, relationships. It doesn't matter if you're making a video or talking to someone or writing a letter uh, or writing an email, you have to consider the other person, what their experience is like, how you're providing value and how you're creating the best possible experience for the person on the other side of anything you're doing or saying. That's great. That's sounds amazing. What about you, Colin? Uh, YouTube studio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's say, also valid. Say, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally agree with what Samir is saying, but I think on top of that, like if YouTube's where you want to be, if Instagram's where you want to be, wherever it is, like it, it's a, it's a world that has rules in the way that it operates. And like, there are metrics there to help you guide what you're doing. You know, like it's yeah. a lot of times creators are on their own, you know, and that's why it does help to like generate relationships and learn from each other. But at the same time, one of the best tools you actually do have is the platform itself and some of those analytics and some of those metrics. Yeah. Obsess, obsess over your customer's experience for sure. Thank you guys so much for coming yeah, on. Honestly, thank you guys so much. I think much. it's crazy that we met so long ago and we're finally like filming the podcast. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Uh, it was so great to talk to you and I genuinely learned a lot again. So thank you guys. Yeah, well, thanks, yeah, for, having thanks us for having us on. Also, before we do head out, guys, I want everyone listening to go check out the description as well for Luke, our fantastic editor of each and every single one of our podcasts, including all the clips. And of course, check out Adil Constantine. He is the genius behind our intro and outro music. So his links and Luke's links will be, all be linked down below in the show notes. But thank you guys all so much for watching and we'll catch you guys later.